What's up, everyone? Really kind. Y'all are so kind. All right. Well, I am so excited to be back with y'all. Uh, me and my family, we have been gone for the last few weeks to get some time away. And, uh, and, and I got to be honest, I have missed you guys so much. Um, not a day went by that I didn't miss our community back here as we were journeying and getting some really beautiful time together. And God used that time to begin work in me in a number of different areas in my life. And, uh, and to be honest, to begin to teach me lessons, uh, I learned, I mastered none of them. Uh, some of them uh, are going to take decades. Um, some of them whole, hopefully a whole lot less time. Uh, some of them easy and light and encouraging. Some, a lot of looking in the mirror and seeing what's there and not really liking it. Um, and through all of it, I discovered that God is good, that he is genuinely good and he is for the good of his people. Now I wanted to start tonight because it kind of connects to where I've been at in a where I've been at. Um, this poem is entitled Present Tense. So I wanted to read this, this poem to you. I did not write it. Um, I haven't written a poem since like sixth grade probably. So I have no idea what would come out. But this is a poem by somebody much more talented than I. Uh, so I'll start. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was the fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blooming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel that tension in your own heart ever? See, while I was away, this was one of the big lessons that God began to disciple me into. One that he has been trying to teach me for so long, which is to just be present. Yeah, you know, I've told you guys this before, but I am so future oriented. I am constantly focused on what's next, rarely sitting in the moment. And while we were gone, it was probably the most present I have been since I was like seven years old. And it still, like if, if, we're, if it's great, I need a great on a curve for that one still. See, when I was, when, if you and I ever all went on vacation together, what you will find out if we are in some place wonderful and magical, you'll still find me talking about not what we're doing right now, but what we're going to do next. And specifically, typically where we're going to eat later. Like at, at breakfast, I'm like, where are we going for lunch? And at lunch, I'm like, where are we going for dinner? Uh, I, I have a few recommendations. I looked at TripAdvisor, did some research. Like I... I live in the future and sometimes it reminds me of, um, I remind myself of the character Adam Sandler played in the movie Click. It's a little, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you don't know Click, it's about this dad and husband who uses a remote control to fast forward through what he deems to be insignificant moments of his life, but unintentionally begins to skip even past in significant moments as well. 
And eventually he learns as he fast forwards through his entirety of life that both of those moments, the ones that seem insignificant or the ones that seem significant, both carry genuine significance. See, this is personally for me how I experience discontentment. And that's a word we're going to talk about a lot tonight, discontentment or contentment. See, discontentment is a lack of satisfaction in what you've been given. So what does it look like for you? Maybe for you, your issue is not contentment because like me in that fact that I am always thinking of future orientation, but maybe you tend to be a nostalgic person, somebody who is past oriented and you find yourself dwelling on what could have been or what was or what used to be wanting so bad to bring that into reality. But even if you're somebody who is better than I am, somebody who is able to live more in the present, you can still find yourself discontent with the present. So my question for you is, what have you been thinking about recently as to what is going to make you feel content? What is going to make you feel fulfilled? What is going to make you feel at ease, at peace? Let me ask it this way. Here's a fill in the blank. If you just had blank, if you just had that promotion, that house, that new career, that relationship, those kids, that opportunity, those shoes, like whatever it is, if I just had fill in the blank, then, then I would arrive. Life, I, then I can be content. Up until then though, now tonight we're gonna to be learning from Paul about contentment. And what I want you to notice is how he's gonna bring this lesson to the church in Philippi, but he's gonna do it through a way that's a little bit different than we might expect. He's gonna start by talking about money. Now, so we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. So if you wanna go ahead and open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. And what I want you to pay attention to in this passage is to look for the simple answer to the question, why? Why is he drawing con connection between finances and contentment. So last week, Joel was up here and he was sharing Paul's lessons on the peace of God that defies our understanding in the midst of an anxious world. And we have seen throughout this letter so far, Paul continually uses one word, the word rejoice. Rejoice. Over and over and over again, he says that word rejoice. And he's not just doing it because it's his word of the day. He is saying it because he wants them to get the idea of what he is desiring for himself and what he desires for them. To choose joy. To rejoice is to choose joy. That's hard for me. What about you? And that's what his point is. So what we, what we usually do is we allow our circumstances to guide and to steer our emotional state. But what happens when we rejoice is we fix ourselves into something that is unmovable and we choose joy. And this is the way that Paul continues to live in the midst of difficult circumstances. Just as a reminder, if you're, if you're new on the journey with us and Paul in this letter, Paul has been imprisoned in the middle of Rome for over two years now. And he has been there for a while. He has no idea when he's getting out. He was imprisoned for his faith in uh, obedience to Jesus. And yet here he is rejoicing, rejoicing. And for tonight's passage, he continues to rejoice. So let's see what exactly he is rejoicing in this time. So Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. Let's go. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That last part is probably familiar to many of us, right? But that's the full scope of where he's going. So let's, there's a lot in this, in these just four verses to unpack. So let's jump right in. So first off, why is he rejoicing? Now, up until this point, every time he uses the word rejoicing, he is talking about it outside of his current circumstance. He isn't attaching it to what's been going on in his personal life. But this time he does. He actually is saying, I'm now rejoicing because my circumstances have changed. Now that's very different because before it's always, I am rejoicing regardless of my circumstance. But we're going to notice is he does this with a classic Paul twist. See, he says, I have been rejoicing because you've revived your care for me. What he's talking about is financial support for him and for his ministry. We've talked about this before, but in Roman prison, it wasn't like even our um, criminal justice system in, uh, where if you are in prison, uh, they will, um, they're like, there's laws that require the provision of necessary things to exist, right? Um, warm clothes, blankets, food, those kind of items just to get by day-to-day life are provided, right? In Rome, that's not the case. You don't get that stuff provided by the state. Friends and family have to bring that to you. And oftentimes in the Roman world, what made it even harder is there was great shame about having a relative or a friend that goes to prison. So you'd often disown that person. So here's Paul sitting in prison over two years later, and he is rejoicing because they've revived their concern for him. Isn't that cool? Revived your care. He felt cared for, remembered, loved. It's nice to be remembered, right? See, none of us are meant to live self-sufficient lives. And when we look in the scriptures, we can think Paul, if there's somebody who's ever been self-sufficient apart from Jesus, it is Paul. But he's like, no, I'm rejoicing because you care for me. You've shown that, you put it on display. It reminds me of just a simple truth that we need one another. We need care. This is why when we love someone, it's good to not just say, I love you one time and then just go and like, all right, I I told you I love you. So now let's just hold on to that. I'm not going to say, and I'll just let you know if that ever changes. How's that? Right? No, no, you're, don't do that. That's a bad idea with friends, family, loved ones, whoever. Tell people if, express care and not just verbally with your actions, right? Like we care for one another. I had a good conversation with you one time. That must mean we're fine, right? Like, no, no, no. Consistent care. And for Paul, he wanted to feel that. And he is receiving that consistent care. Now it says that the word revived, meaning that at one point they had this financial consideration towards him. They were sending him finances and then there, something happened and it stopped for a while and now it is being revived. It started again. Now we don't find out why, what has happened. Now maybe this church had a financial downturn. Maybe persecution in Philippi had ramped up. Maybe they were just physically unable to get the finances to Paul because he was in prison. We don't really find out why. What we do know is that, he, that Paul believes that he 
that they never stopped caring for him. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. So he doesn't just say like, I mean, now I'm glad you guys showed up now. Like, I, no, he's like, no, I, I'm glad you guys showed up now. Now I know that you never stopped caring for me, but you had no opportunity. So we don't know what stopped the opportunity, but now Paul is going to take that and he is going to connect it to contentment. Verse 11, verse 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, there's that word, content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Isn't that powerful? He is so thankful for their care, but he clarifies it's not because I actually needed the money. Now, if I'm Paul, I'd probably be saying, yeah, yeah I did, you know? But he's saying, no, that's not, that wasn't my primary concern. It's not my primary reason why I am now rejoicing. He goes on to say what seems to be a tangent, but what we discover is that he's actually steering them towards a truth that is simple to share, difficult to embody, contentment. He is learning, he has learned to be content. Now, Paul has experienced the realities of both abundance. You know, have you ever had a day of abundance? You know, and it feels like everything's kind of going right for you. Uh, when it just feels like, like you're, you're late to work, but then the perfect parking spot opens up and then you get to work and your boss actually says, thank you. And then like everything is just going great. Or, you, you know, you shoot the game winning shot, like those kind of days. He knows what those days are like. Days of abundance, for sure. But Paul doesn't believe that that's all God ever guarantees. It's just that every day is going to turn out perfectly. There'd be no difficulties, no trials, no, no frustrations. He knows what it's like to have abundance, but he also knows what it's like to be in desperate need. Read the book of Acts. Paul gets himself into some crazy situations. Dude gets himself lost at sea, shipwrecked, hanging on like Titanic status onto the side of a, a side of a ship, waiting until he eventually meanders onto the coastline for 24 hours. Rough day, right? Just, I mean, like the stories of Paul. He gets bit by a serpent. He doesn't die. Apparently, he was supposed to be a lethal serpent. He starts getting worshipped as a god by the local people. And then he's like, no, no, that's, no, I can tell you about the real god, though. You want to know about him? And then they start picking up stones and throwing him at his face. Like, this guy has had some really rough days. He has watched some of his best friends die for the cause of the gospel. And he is now sitting here imprisoned. Unable to do the things he loves or desires, he has experienced abundance and need. Yet Paul says he has discovered the secret of contentment. What is it? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, the secret to contentment is rooted in your union with Jesus. I'll say that one again. If you're a note taker, I would write this one down because I need this in my heart. I'd imagine you very least need it in your notepad. The secret to contentment is rooted in your union with Jesus. 
Now, this is a verse that's probably familiar to most of you, even if you didn't grow up in the church, like you see that on Pinterest and Instagram all the time, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You hear it quoted by uh, professional athletes after they win big championships, right? You would have heard, if, if you had known me in high school, you probably wouldn't have liked me. Um, but, uh, but you would, uh, when I was uh, playing football and I was in weight training before practice and stuff, uh, you would typically hear me saying that verse as I was trying to like get a new max on bench press or something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And see what I and so many of us often miss with this passage is the context. And we just hit on the context, right? See, Paul was not passing along to secret, the secret to success in all of your business ventures. This isn't buzz, like BuzzFeed worthy, right? He wasn't guaranteeing success in the ease of your relationships. He wasn't even guaranteeing your personal happiness. See, Paul was sharing with them the secret to contentment in the midst of any and every circumstance. Think about the ones that he's listing here. Plenty and hunger. I sign up for plenty, right? Does anyone like being hungry? Do you find it difficult to be content when you are hungry? Do you remember those old um, Snickers commercials from a few years ago where you turn into somebody else when you're hungry, so eat a Snickers, like that idea? Abundance and need. The secret is contentment through union with Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. It's not that you can do all the things that you want to do through Jesus. It is that you can do all of the best translation of this path, of the words that are used here in the context is all these things through him who strengthens you. Isn't that interesting? That would kind of like make it a little bit less Pinterest worthy because then you'd have to include more verses and you wouldn't like the other ones. So you can experience seasons of plenty and not allow your hope to be rooted in how awesome life feels right now. You can experience seasons of difficulty, hardship, even persecution and not fall into despair. Are any of you ever, when you are finding yourself in a difficult season, maybe you are being confronted by the brokenness of your own decisions or the brokenness of the decisions of somebody else. Don't you want to snap it and click it and wish it away? Don't you want to desire and make another season happen? <laughs> Me too. Yet Paul has found the secret to contentment in all these things. See, this is important that we get. And it starts by us realizing that first and foremost, God is not your personal genie. It's not his function. It's not a cosmic Coke machine. You put in good deeds and out pops a God zero or something, you know? (laughs) See, within the scriptures, we learn so much about the character of God. We discover his deep love for his people. We discover his greatness to affect justice throughout the cosmos. And we also discover something that's so important, but so easy to miss, especially in our world and in our focus that's so focused on self and what I believe and what I think and what I feel. God doesn't exist for you or me. He doesn't. We didn't create God. If he did, he wouldn't be much of a God at all. 
We were created for him. We were created to delight in him, to enjoy him, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. This is why we exist. And now here's why that's good news. That might not feel like good news. You're like, well, that's a bummer. I like the world revolving around me, you know, me too. But here's why this is such good news. Um, This is a super personal example. So if this doesn't connect at all, I'm sorry. It made sense in my mind. Um, I don't like, or I feel really weird on my birthday. Does anybody else feel really weird on their birthday? I don't know what to do when people start celebrating me. uh, And I'm just like, I don't don't know what to feel. Like with all the attention and focus being geared towards me and everyone's like looking at how happy I am or whatever. And what if they didn't give me the gifts I wanted? Then that brings a whole other layer of difficulty to it. You guys know I can be real, right? See, it reminds me of the fact that when we believe that the world exists for us, that God exists for me, what it ultimately manufactures is discontentment because we live in an imperfect world and things aren't always gonna play out the way you or I would hope for. So if what you are expecting from God is that's what he's going to do, that he's going to give you all things through him who strengthens you, all the things you desire, and that doesn't come to pass, that's hard. I've experienced that of you. But see, we exist for God. But not only do we exist for him, get this, guys, this is what makes it so cool. He sent Jesus to unify us to him. See, Jesus on the cross not only secured our adoption, he not only forgave us our sins, he not only made a way where there is no way, he unified us to himself. He unified us to himself on the cross. When he raised from the grave, it says in Romans, we raise in a resurrection like his. I recently read that in the New Testament of the Bible, the last half of the Bible, the, the, word, the concept unity with Christ is mentioned over 200 times. Now that's in, the, in a standard Bible, standard print. There is average about 200 pages in the New Testament. So it's like once per page. I'm not saying God's doing that math, but if we're doing that math, it must be pretty significant, Right? we don't tend to think of our unity with Jesus, our union with him. But it matters if we have any hope of contentment. So when it says that we can do all things through him, it's pointing us to the reality that we are completely unified with him and he is unified with us. See, no circumstance can rip us out of his embrace. The worst day, the best day. Whether you are finding yourself in prison for for knowing Jesus, which by the way, there are currently millions of brothers and sisters in the family of God who are experiencing that this second. Or whether you're enjoying a really splendid day. It's a day of abundance. And like, you shouldn't feel bad about a day of abundance. Those are good days, enjoy them. When you're doing all your favorite things with all your favorite people. With this though, Something vitally important that we understand is that finding contentment through Jesus, it's not the key to our contentment. Here's why that matters. I don't know if you ever do this when you're listening to a sermon. I do it um, when I'm listening to podcasts and stuff as well. But I am always looking for what's the fix for me. What's gonna like, okay, I want contentment. So how do I get, oh, it's through Jesus. So I better like buddy up to Jesus then. No, 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 no. Because if you do that, what you start doing is you are using Jesus as a means to an end. Y'all, Jesus is the means and he's the end. 
He is the hope of our salvation. He is the solid rock in which we stand. Apart from him, there's nothing. He is better than contentment. But you see, it is through him and in him that we discover the secret of contentment. We realize that the goal is Jesus. The hope is Jesus. And what comes out of that is the life of Jesus in us and through us. And that's what's so vitally important that we understand. The secret of contentment is through our unity with Jesus. So tell me, where have you been finding your contentment recently? If you experience some overnight change, maybe like, like, oh man, that's me. I'm gonna pray about it and by tomorrow morning, I'm gonna be fixed. Maybe, maybe. I'm not discounting what the spirit of God can do. He's pretty awesome, but that's not what he's ever done with me, you know? Uh, That would be an outlier. For most of us, it's long obedience in the same direction. It's long obedience, learning day by day to keep your eyes focused on the one who is our genuine hope. And as we experience him, what we discover and what Paul is saying that he has discovered is that through him who strengthens him, he's discovered how to experience any and all circumstances. And if you're, th- if you're here tonight and you're with me, if you struggle with this one and you're like, oh, this is me, join the club. In fact, look around. You're actually in the club. It's pretty cool. That's what the church is. A bunch of knuckleheads trying to draw near to Jesus together. It's great. But as we disciple one another, as we are reminding one another day by day of the beauty of the gospel, what happens is we find ourselves more and more aware of what has already been secured 2,000 years ago, that you are completely and joyously united with Christ. So you begin to live more and more into the reality that is already the truest thing about you. So here's what I want to do right now. I want to give us two minutes of awkward silence. And here's why. I don't want us to miss this opportunity. What I want you to do is I want you to process this one with God for a couple minutes. Just spend a couple minutes praying, just asking God about this. Maybe look at your Bible in front of you and read over this passage again and ask God, where have you been struggling with unbelief in these spaces? Talking to him about it. So let's go ahead and take two minutes and do that. And then I'll close the message and we'll continue on with our gathering. No, is I was just praying and talking to God. He was just reminding me in my spirit that I am his son and nothing can tear that away. And if you are a part of the family of God, if you have been adopted, if you are Jesus's, that is true of you, no matter what's going on right now. You are united with Jesus. And in that, there is peace. In that, there is beauty. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And I wanted to share with you an experience um, in closing uh, that I had. I, was, I had the opportunity to be a part. Uh, we're part of a church playing network called Acts 29. And um, 
I, I had the opportunity to go to our global gathering with uh, pastors, from, uh, pastors and staff members and awesome people from all across the globe. Um, I, I would imagine probably like, let's say at least 40 nations were represented at this particular gathering. It was beautiful. And we closed our time worshiping to the song in Christ alone. And that, I, I, I love that hymn. It's beautiful. Um, you might be familiar with it if you're not. Um, we're going to worship to it in a moment. But what was so powerful about it to me in that context is I am looking out at brothers and sisters from across the, uh, across the, the world. There was a pastor and his wife from Ukraine that were sitting at my table. How do you, what do you do in that? And yet they can sing and truly believe in Christ alone, my hope is found. And that is true for Paul. If that is true for our brothers and sisters in the midst of difficulty and persecution, it is true for wherever you're at right now. If you're having an awesome day, sweet, love it. If you're having a rough one, I know what that's like too. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. And it's in him alone that strengthens us. Would you pray with me? Father, you are Yahweh. You are I am. You are the one who was before and you will be the one that is long after. You are the one who calls us out of darkness into a marvelous light. So Lord, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in this room that wherever they are at, if they find themselves in spaces of darkness and they're hiding, would you meet them there? Would you lift them up and point them to the light and expose the truth that the light is so much greater than the darkness? even though it's scary. But wherever they're at, Lord, I pray that they would discover that they are strengthened because they're united with Jesus. That we are not strong on our own merit, but that we are emboldened and strengthened, empowered because we have been given the spirit of God. So Lord, would you use us? Your kids you're redeemed. Your princes, your princesses, the ones that you've pursued and called back to yourself. Would you remind that and plant that truth that we are united with Jesus in the hearts of every single one who knows him in this space. And for those who don't, Lord, I pray that you begin to do a new work in their heart. That they would discover your incredible love for them. That they would discover unity with Jesus and the sweetness that lives in that. Lord, we know, we know that we need you. We just don't know how much we need you. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe that Jesus really is our only hope. To put our trust and our faith in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.